0: You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. The strength of of expository preaching is that it forces the one preaching to deal with the next passage. And uh, I'd be lying if I told you I'm not nervous this morning. uh, Or have some level of fear about the subject matter, because I know, I know that divorce is a horrible thing. I know some, some of you have experienced divorce and have gone through the trauma of that. Some of you, your hearts are still wounded over that. My mentor, Ed Hardesty, said that the Word of God is like a scalpel. You can cut somebody's heart out with it, or it could be used to perform delicate surgery on a person's soul. So I feel the weight of, of, of our passage this morning. And uh, I, I approach, I will be approaching these, these verses with some fear, <laughs> with great respect, and with care. And so I am asking you, for some of you, you don't even know me. This may be your first Sunday. So, I'm Keith, I'm the lead pastor here. Uh, <laughs> most of you do know me. The first half to two thirds of this message, for some of you, it's going to be really hard for you to hear. But I'm asking that you stick it through to the end of the, to the, end of the sermon. I really believe that you'll be helped. I really believe that you'll leave here encouraged. We're going to pray, and uh, I'm just going to pray over this, and that God would prepare our hearts. Father, I ask that you would prepare our hearts, mine as well, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us eyes to see your glory, and that you would give us hearts it would be soft enough to receive your word. God, have your way with us because we know, I know, that your way leads to life, that your way leads to thriving, that your way leads to joy, that your way leads to contentment. And so God, speak through me Please give me wisdom to know exactly what I should say. Give me discernment to know what ought not to be said. And God, our our hope, my my hope is that at the end of this we will see the splendor and glory and majesty of you, that we will be overwhelmed by your love, your grace, your mercy, but also your holiness, your justice your character and all that it is your glory have your way with us it's in jesus name we pray amen if you could stand to honor the reading of god's word we're going to read uh, the two verses that are in the sermon on the mount but we'll also flip over to matthew chapter 19 and look at those verses because they're related to it, I kind of, uh, because I have an active imagination, I wonder if some of the Pharisees heard Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, and kind of like what happens on a Sunday morning, every once in a while, you go home and say, I'm not sure I really agree with what the pastor said. Uh, I have some questions. And then when we come to Matthew chapter 19, the Pharisees had some questions. And it's, I think it's related to what he said in the Sermon on the Mount. So we believe that, God, that, the, that the Bible is the Word of God, that it is authoritative. That's why we ask you to stand, the reading of it, that, uh, that you sit down when I preach, because I really believe I don't have anything good to offer, you, offer to you than in what's inside this book. Anything outside of it I don't think is worthwhile listening to me, really. Um, and so I really feel that. I also want to say before we read the Scriptures that the reason why you sit is because I want you to see the Word of God yourself and to take it home, to examine it, and to measure it against everything that I, that I say. That is especially true today. And so this is the Word of God, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 31. It was also said, Whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife except on the ground of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And then Matthew chapter 19, beginning with, I think I have verse 4 on here, but we'll, we'll start with verse 3. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? He said to them, because of your, the, your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. You may be seated. So, fun fact, just to break the ice a little bit, because you're all very quiet. Uh, (laughs) I was wondering, what does the average, what does it cost the average person in America to put on a wedding? You know, so I I share this in light of, do people still hold marriage in high regard? Do they still treat it? Do they still honor it? Do they still think it to be sacred on some level? I was blown away by this. We my wife and I certainly did not spend this much on our wedding. Uh, but the average wedding in America costs somewhere around $33,000. You've got to really believe in what you're doing to spend that much money. you know, <laughs> Or you don't, and you just want to make it count. I don't know. Uh, now, in Wyoming, <laughs> in Wyoming, and I don't know why this is, in Wyoming, the average cost is just about $20,000. And I don't know if that's because people get married on ranches and in churches or out in the middle of nowhere, and, and there's not a whole lot of venues that will siphon you for every cent that you have. But uh, I was surprised by that as well. And my wife and I, we didn't spend that much either. <laughs> so we were dirt poor. I was a custodian. No, was I No, I worked, I worked at, a, at a company and had a... Had Made peanuts like I made very little. I was a student, and we had very little money. So interesting, fun fact has very little to do with the rest of my sermon, but I wanted to share it with you. In fact, yesterday I deleted it from my from my sermon notes, and then I, this morning I'm like, no, I need to add something that's funny, and so I did. Uh, statistically speaking, here's another thing that I thought was, was somewhat encouraging. Uh, statistically speaking, in 2021, uh, it was reported that 45% of marriages ended in divorce, which is which is down than than in previous years. So the the rate of divorce has been decreasing in recent years. I thought that was interesting. Some now there are all kinds of ideas regarding why that is. Uh, some think that maybe the pandemic uh, has resulted in couples. <laughs> being forced to live you know, in the same room and building together, uh, and have grown to appreciate one another more, or not, but but 45%. So the statistics are a little lower. The percentage is a little lower. Uh, the percentage of Americans who now believe that divorce is morally acceptable, though, is up. It's at 73%, which I don't know, I don't know how to make sense of that. So it's the, the, the amount of Americans we think that divorce is morally acceptable is up, but yet the divorce rates are a little lower—not by much, but by but but a little lower. Most evangelical Christians believe divorce is not morally acceptable, yet just over 30% of marriages among Christians end in divorce. Which I that number is actually lower than I thought it was, but still 30 just over 30% is too high. And I I thought, well, why is that? Why is it so high for Christians who who say we believe what the Bible says to be true, but yet 30% of those marriages end in divorce, Christian marriages? Maybe the number of divorces among Christians is in part due to the 58% of evangelicals who believe that cohabiting before marriage is acceptable so long as you plan on getting married. Even though the data shows, and there have been numerous studies that, go, that date back quite some time, that show that cohabiting together before marriage uh, likens or, or increases the likelihood that your marriage will end in divorce. And so, I, I don't know, maybe I came across another study that I read this week, I actually passed it along to the staff to read, which was shocking, and I think could be related to the percentages of divorces amongst Christians and that is that 62% of american pastors no longer hold to a biblical worldview and the crazy thing is that most of them believe that they do hold to a biblical worldview i don't know whatever the reasons are they're complex they're heartbreaking I mean, you know my ma my mother and father their marriage ended in divorce uh, it was traumatizing for us as children, for my brother and I. And, um, and whatever the reasons, it's, it, it shouldn't happen. It's, it's unnatural. And I think everyone in this room would agree that it, if you've gone through a divorce, it is like, it's like having your skin pulled from your bones. It's, 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 just, it's worse than every, pers- every couple that I've talked to or most of the couples that I've talked to who've gone through a divorce, they say it's worse than a death. I looked at a number of blog posts and articles concerning the reasons why people divorce. I, the, the seven reasons that were in just about every list, almost every list that I've read, are as follows. Reasons for divorce, infidelity, trouble with finances, was number two in most of those lists, Poor communicating or arguing is right up there at the top. Unrealistic expectations, a lack of intimacy, no to little preparation for marriage before marriage. I, that actually was, I was encouraged that that's actually been that was on a number of the lists that I noticed or I read, and then seven physical or emotional abuse, which I will address that. I won't have time to address it today. I'm not going to address it at Comia <laughs> next week. But when we come back, I plan on addressing emotional and physical abuse in a marriage and uh, pick up where, where we you know, leave off today. So with that being said, what did Jesus say about divorce? Well, you, know, you, heard, you heard what he said. He said that whoever divorces his wife... Um, is and remarries another is guilty of sexual immorality is guilty of adultery. That's harsh. Now, you need to understand, to understand what Jesus is getting at here, the, the context and the culture of his day. I kind of touched on it a little bit last week, but, but I'm going to dive a little deeper into what was going on uh, around Jesus amongst the Pharisees, the religious leaders in Jesus' day. They would be our, you know, you're either your fundamental, fundamentalist Christians or your evangelical Christians. I put myself in the evangelical camp. Um, and those of you who know me would do the same. You'd put me there as well. Uh, he, he, what Jesus was addressing was this common-held position. It was the most popular position that was held by many of the Pharisees is that, was that a man could just divorce his wife for whatever reason. And many of the Pharisees uh, most likely held to that view because... Let's, let's be honest. Any, any religious system that um, dehumanizes women is not of God. You know it's man-made if some dude says, hey, when you die and you get to heaven, there's like 14 virgins or however many waiting for you up there. Or you know some dude created it when he says, you know, God uh, allows for a man to have multiple wives. But Jesus, what he does here, is he does something that the Pharisees did not expect. Jesus here raises the bar to where it needed to be, where it should have been. And we'll we'll unpack that in a little bit. But, But he raises the bar. And so I have two points. And, and they're simply this. What did Jesus really believe about divorce? That's the first, and by addressing that, we'll address some other things outside, you know, not just related to divorce. And then secondly, how should we live as followers of Jesus in light of what Jesus thought about divorce? Because if the Bible is the Word of God, and if it is, if it is true that the Bible is not God's method to kill or wreck your joy but to maximize it, what does it mean to live in light of what Jesus believed about divorce? And so I'm going to answer that. Excuse me. So what did, <clears throat> what, what did Jesus really think about divorce? Well, he was pretty narrow, wasn't he? <laughs> uh, it's pretty exclusive. One thing I'll reiterate as we continue to dive into this, don't, don't make Jesus say something he's not saying here. Don't sugarcoat his words. He was real careful about what words he chose. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another is guilty of adultery. So he starts off with, it was said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Well, who said it? That's the first question we need to answer. Who said that? Well, Moses. Well, Moses, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, where do you find that? Deuteronomy chapter 24. And, and I won't have all the words, I won't have the words on the screen. You can look it up in your Bible. We don't have time to dive deep, deep into it, but I will read it for you. You write it down. It's in the text. Uh, and and this, is what, this is what Deuteronomy chapter 24, the first few verses, states. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then he finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency in her, and he writes for her a certificate of a divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, and she departs out of his house, and if she goes and becomes another man's wife, and, later, and, and the later man hates her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of the house, Or if the latter man dies, who took her to be his wife, then her former husband, who sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. Now, what is all that saying? Here's what was going on. The hearts of the Hebrew men were hard. (laughs) In fact, if you read the story of the Hebrew people from Genesis through Deuteronomy, what you will discover is a cycle of idolatry, a cycle of walking away from the Lord a cycle of dishonoring the Lord. And and, and in that culture, women were treated like cattle. They were treated like second class. They maybe even worse than that. And the Pharisees thought what Moses was writing was to to protect the guy, to protect the dude, to to make life easier on him. But what Moses wrote there was, was to protect the woman. One, to make marriage difficult to get out of. And then two, that she could not be treated or take advantage of as some type of animal. She's a human being created in the image of God. And in that culture, if you just sent her out of your home, she would die. She'd be forced into prostitution. She'd be taken advantage of. There are all kinds of harm that would happen to the, the wife of a man who, who's sent out by, by her husband, in a form of divorce. So, so Moses, the command was not to the man. The command was for the woman, and that is... It, Siri. <laughs> and that was that, that you needed to put a certificate of divorce in her hand so that she would not be taken advantage of. Now, what is the indecency? Well, that was the big controversy. You had these two schools of thought. There was the school of Shemai who was more conservative and less popular and then you had the school of uh, Hillel which was more popular and and more liberal regarding what what Moses was teaching here the school of Shamel said, no, indecency, the indecency that Moses is speaking of here is if the wife was caught in some form of sexual immoral behavior with another human being besides her husband. If she is sexually active or promiscuous with any other person than than her husband, then you could write a certificate of divorce for her. That's what the the conservative school believed. And then, then, I don't know... (laughs) I don't know who Hillel was, Rabbi Hillel, but he's like, no, actually, indecency is this, is that you can, indecency includes acts like walking around with one's hair down in public, that's indecent, speaking to another man in the streets, that's indecent, and even some understood indecency to mean even if she makes a bad meal, you can send her out. So, so the, Pharise- the majority of the Pharisees, their view of marriage was very low. And, uh, and the school of uh, Shammai it was, was a little higher than that. And what does Jesus do? What he does is so brilliant here. He takes them in, in Matthew chapter 19, because they come up to him, and they're like, oh, I had problems with the sermon you preached. <laughs> what did you really mean by this? Right? And, and in Matthew 19, they came up to him, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any case? school of you know the liberal school the out is it is it lawful i want you to see it yeah if you're if you're flipping pages we're going to camp in matthew 19 for a little bit and jesus raises the bar he says wait a second pharisees you who have the whole old testament memorized who could quote the bible chapter and verse have you not read <laughs> have you not read That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? I I mean, haven't you... Surely you've memorized Genesis chapter 1 and 2. So why are you even asking this question? Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast or cling to his wife and the two shall become, what? One flesh. One flesh. Anything in Genesis 1 and 2 about divorce? About a certificate of divorce? No. And, uh, and so, so he says, let's go back to the scriptures whose authority supersedes your two schools of thought the Pharisees, their interest wasn't in, trying, in wanting to get the right answer. They wanted to get Jesus tripped. They wanted to trap Jesus. They wanted to get the two schools of thought angry with Jesus. Because if he sided with the one school, then the other school of thought would be angry with him. If he sided with the other school of thought, the more conservative, which I think they probably suspected he would do in light of his Sermon on the Mount, then the majority of people who adopted the school of Hillel. Uh, especially the guys, well, they would be angry with Jesus. But what does Jesus do? What does the Scripture say? What do the Scriptures say? Well, what they say is that, uh, that in the beginning, God's intention for marriage and his design for marriage never included divorce. Just like God's intention for all of creation was not to include death. It was always meant and designed for life. And, and so he takes them back there, and, and uh, then he adds a, an interesting uh, sentence. He says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So they said to them, and he asked, they asked a legitimate question, okay, then what about Moses? I, I, love, <laughs> I, love, what they, I love what they say here in verse 7. They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? Command? <laughs> Who's he commanding here? Who said anything about command? In fact, if you, if, if, Pharisee, if you read Deuteronomy chapter 24 a little more closely, there's no command there. It's because of your hard hearts. He wrote what he wrote. And because you were mistreating the wife of your youth. I wanted to include Malachi chapter 2 in this, and maybe I'll do it when we pick up next, or in two weeks. But um, God says in Malachi chapter 2 you have inflicted violence upon the woman, the, 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 the wife of your youth, by divorcing her. And you come to the altar in tears and, and weeping and wailing, and you're wondering why God won't listen to your prayers? Well, that's why, because of the way you're treating your wife. I, every person who's gone through premarital counseling, uh, that I've led them through premarital counseling, I point them to, to 1 Peter chapter 3, and it says this, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Lest your prayers be hindered. Guys, listen. The way you treat your wife will affect how God hears your prayers. And, and, and so Jesus says, well, who said anything about commands here? The certificate of the divorce was for the protection of the the woman because of the hard hearts of, of the men. And so, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Ken Hughes use in his commentary on Matthew chapter 5 he's also a pastor he, he said something I, th- I thought was really good and his quote will be on the screen here it says, the reason God allowed divorce was the hardness of the heart to which the men of Israel succumbed it was a divine concession to human weakness, reluctant permission at best and the thing that's important, brothers and sisters, to understand is that when you read through the scriptures, it is—it's authoritative. It is the word of God, but also—it's uh, also important to understand the context of chapter and verse. What was going on around around the time that Moses wrote Deuteronomy 24, and 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 what does that say to us and how we are to live with our spouse? or how we are to live in a world that, that still does not honor life, and still, regardless of all the liberal baloney out there, and, and, and just when it comes to women and sexual identity, still, still demeans the value of a woman. That's a whole other sermon. Okay, so so Jesus said... Back, back again, he says, listen. Verse 9, and I say to you, I mean, he could have stopped there. Because of are hard hearts, that's why Moses wrote it. All right, see you later, peace out. Like, he could have done that, but he didn't. What did he do? Verse 9, I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. <gasps> well, we saw last week in the last week's sermon, What's, what's, what's the punishment for adultery? Death. Capital punishment in the Old Testament. Jesus raises the bar above these two schools of thought because the word of God is authoritative. And you know what? There's nothing new under the sun, just different Dress. And the same, I mean, we're experiencing, we we struggle with the same stuff, we're dealing with the same stuff when it comes to marriage and sex, and it just looks different. It's just different dress. It's the same stuff. And so Jesus says, back back to the Sermon on the Mount, he says in chapter 5, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And and Mark, Mark's a a little more, you know, to the point. I I love the Gospel of Mark. It's like the action gospel. Um, It moves really quick through the life of Jesus. But it says, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if, (laughs) like women, you're not off the hook here. And if she divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. And and your response right now is exactly what I thought it would be. This is uncomfortable. The word that Jesus used for immorality is the Greek word porneia. It means adultery, it can mean fornication, sex outside of marriage, before marriage, and any other sexual sin. He deliberately and intentionally used the word pornea. And the only legitimate reason, there's gospel and there's grace at the end of the sermon, just wait. But the only legitimate reason a person is permitted to pursue a divorce, according to Jesus, is what? In the case of adultery. I mean, earlier in his sermon on the mount, he said, "Even if if you look at a woman with lustful intent, you've committed adultery in your heart." So who's innocent? Who's who's innocent? How should we live in light of what Jesus said? That's my second point. What do we do with the statement about divorce? Like, is every Christian in this room who has been married, divorced, and then remarried guilty of adultery? And possibly an ongoing and unrepentant sin without even being aware of it? Because of, you know, being a product of our culture could, could lead you in, those, in, in that direction, possibly. Or what about the person who's not been married? Divorce, or not married, or never, you know, never married, but engaged in sex outside of marriage. Didn't the Apostle Paul say in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, if you're taking notes, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute, doesn't matter if you're married or unmarried, becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. Any s- sexual engagement... That you have with another human being, you become one flesh with that person. That's not Pastor Keith talking, that's the Bible. In light of what Jesus teaches concerning lust, adultery, and marriage, when, when you die, will you be turned away from, from the kingdom of heaven? From inheriting the kingdom of heaven because of that? Only to face the wrath of a holy God? I mean, because again, we read in the Bible, and the words are on the screen right here. Do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor what? Say it. <laughs> Adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, or the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. Like Is that, is that what's reserved for the person who's been married and remarried? Or the person who's engaged in any form of sex before marriage or outside of marriage? Like there are whole chapters in the Bible dedicated to sexual sin. I footnoted them in my manuscript. They'll be available later this week. And the reason and the purpose of those warnings... Are in the scriptures, brothers and sisters, is that you would flee, that we would flee from sexual immorality. So here's what I want to do with with the time that we have left. I want to talk to those who have sinned. That's all of us, by the way, in case you're wondering. Who? Who sinned? All of us. To those who continue to sin. And then to, to, to those of you who feel shame over your past sin. And I'll share a few thoughts just to get you through the next couple of weeks for those of you who are in an abusive relationship. So, to those who have sinned, who's innocent? No one. not according to jesus so what do we do with that because here's the temptation well we're all guilty so let's just sugarcoat it and just live our merry lives that would be the temptation let's, let's just continue as we are because all of us are guilty and the, i said this last week i'll say it again sin will lead you to hell And your sin will either lead you to hell or the sorrow over your sin will lead you to the cross of Jesus Christ. There's no middle ground, brothers and sisters. And in a group of this large, it's possible some of you are engaged in illicit sex, some of you may be having an adulterous affair right now, and I am pleading with you to listen to the Spirit of God through His Word. There is grace and there is mercy at the cross. But any avenue that does not include the cross and repentance, there is hell. And so uh, godly sorrow over your sin will make it, listen, will make it impossible for you to remain indifferent concerning your sin. That doesn't mean you're going to stop sinning. That doesn't mean you're going to stop lusting or whatever. There are addictions that are represented in this room that are sexual addictions. Statistically speaking, there's a large percent of that. It's like 50-some percent of men and close to 50 percent of women. And so that doesn't mean you're going to stop sinning. I said through the beginning of this sermon series, all throughout it, that what changes when you come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ is your appetite to sin, what once did not disgust you, which what once did not bother you, now bothers you. You're grieved over it. Some of you are just hanging by a thread and you're like, I just want to be free and I don't, I, I don't know how to do that. Here's what I want you to hear. The good news is that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And listen, he did not just die for some of your sins, he died for all of them. If you want to understand how ugly your sin is, this is what I do, if I want to understand how ugly my sin is, look to the cross and see the Son of God who was murdered in your place, who was beaten to a bloody pulp, who had his flesh just stripped from his back, and that wasn't even the worst of it. He was nailed to a cross, he was mocked by two thieves, he was mocked by those who were at the foot of the cross, and, and that was not even the worst of it. He hung there naked. And the worst of it was that when he, as he was hung there dying, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he became our sin. And he And he drank the wrath of God in your place and in my place. Not so that we could trivialize our sin or to make light of it, but that we would run to the cross because of it. I have some scripture passages because that's where the authority comes from. Romans chapter 3 says this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. How many is all? <laughs> all of us, right? Being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation, a payment in his blood through faith. <clears throat> this was to de- demonstrate his righteousness. Because, and I love the way the, the latest translation of the, the New American Standard Bible does this. He said, because in his merciful restraint, I love that, in his merciful restraint, he let the sins previously committed go unpunished for the demonstration, that is, of his righteousness at the present time so that he would be the just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. You want to know how you can stand blameless before a holy God positionally? It is through Jesus Christ. There is a good theological word for that. It's called justification. You stand before a holy God justified, not because of anything you've done, but solely because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ who went to a cross that each and every one of us in this room deserved. Drank every last drop of God's wrath in our place. And when, when he was on that cross and he, and, he, and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was in that moment he experienced the displeasure of God for the first time of God the Father. R.C. Sproul said something that was shocking. I was at the conference when he said it. He said in those moments, it was as if the Son of God heard God the Father say in those moments, in the most literal way, God damn you. In our place. And if you're a Christian and you in, in, in your past like my past pretty jacked up and even your present not squeaky clean May 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 wash over your wounded soul. Let's read this together, ready? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen? Like, let that settle on your heart. If you're in Christ, new creation. You belong to him. You are treasured by the God of all creation. You are a son. You are a daughter of the God who spoke the galaxies into existence. That's who you are. And if that is you, there is, therefore, no condemnation for you who, 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 who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. And in Colossians, well, before I go to Colossians, if you're wondering what, what it means for the old to have been passed away, <clears throat> look at this. This is in Isaiah. If you're wondering you know, what, the, what the Old Testament has to say about it, This is God speaking through the prophet of Isaiah. I, I am he who blots out your what? Transgressions, your sins, for my own sake. What does that mean? For his glory, his love, his majesty, his grace, his justice, his holiness. How did he do it? Through Jesus Christ. And what does it say? And I, let's read this together. And I will not remember your sins. Let that settle on your heart. And then Colossians chapter 2. This is so good. Let's read this together, ready? And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Jesus, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside. What did he do? Nailing it to the cross. Amen? That's gospel. But for you to appreciate that, you've got to see the ugliness of sin. And to acknowledge it for what it was. It's not trivial. Especially sexual sin. Paul said you know, all other sins are committed outside the body, but sexual immorality is committed to, against your own body, your own flesh. And then he says <laughs> to these Christians in Corinth, and they were so jacked up. That was a, that was a dysfunctional church. But he said, he said, you are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. Brothers and sisters, you are not your own. If you are a Christian, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. All right, I need to move on here. To those who continue to sin, what about those of you who have gone through divorce as a Christian? You're a Christian here. What about, what about those of you who are continuing in sin, sexual sin on some level? Maybe you're thinking about divorcing your, your wife or your husband for unbiblical reasons. And again, you have to come back in two weeks for those of you who are abused because I don't want you to hear in this statement that you need to stay in that home and get the snot beaten out of you. Or to have your spouse running into his, running into his addiction like, like a man runs to his mistress. <clears throat> it is possible to be a Christian and at the same time engage in sexual sin. And you need to hear these words. You need and you must turn away from your sin. Because that posture of, I'm going to continue in this path and I don't care what God says, is dangerous. And I say that with fear and trepidation. Because I, <laughs> I, I do feel the Christian life is like a waltz. Two steps forward, one step back. Sometimes the other way. But Hebrews chapter 10 says this, and I want you to hear these words. If we go on sinning deliberately... After receiving the knowledge of the truth, what is that? The gospel. There no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Let's go to the next slide. How much worse punishment do you think we will deserve by the one who has, this is what sin does, has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which we, he, he was sanctified and has outraged the Spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. I don't think you can lose your salvation, but I do think if you continue in unrepentant sin, you probably are not a Christian. And maybe this is God. God's Spirit is speaking to your heart right now to, to, to compel you to turn from whatever it is that you need to turn from. And then third, to those who feel shame over their past sin. You, you need to hear this because some of you are still living in shame. You know what the devil wants to do? He wants you to be paralyzed by your shame. He wants you to be paralyzed by your past failures. What about those of you who who divorced your spouse what about those of you who uh, engaged in sex outside of marriage while a Christian but you're not that's not your heart anymore that's not what you want for your life anymore you're like you repented of that you're like I I'm done with that but then you're you're still living in the shame and and the evil one wants to remind you of your past failures and I'm here to show you and I and through the scriptures that God doesn't want that for your life What's in the past is in the past. And what matters now is that you set your eyes on Jesus and you follow hard after him. I want you to hear these words from Micah. I want you to read these because that will help you hear them even more clearly. Ready? Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. Until he pleads my cause and executes judgment for me, he will bring me out to the light. I shall look upon his vindication. That's for you. That's for all of us. Well, what does that mean? The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's for the person who doesn't know Jesus. There's another verse that's like it, and I cited it last week. It's First John chapter 1, verses 8 through 9. Let's read this together, ready? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why the gospel is not like old news. It's news for your past, your present, and your future. You, we need to preach the gospel to our hearts every single day because it's good news. The devil will want you to sit and wallow and be paralyzed by your shame. And Jesus, has (laughs) he died so that you would experience freedom, a freedom that liberates you to follow him and to know the kind of joy that he intends for you. And then finally, and this is for those of you who are in an abusive relationship, where you are the victim. I promise you in two weeks, I'll I'll, I'll speak to you. What do you do? What do you do when you're in in an abusive relationship? Does God want you to be a doormat? Does he want you to endure that abuse? I say this with fear and trepidation. I don't believe he wants that for you. There is a pathway, though, that I'll talk about in two weeks, but for now, I want you to hear these words. God sees you. He sees you. I don't know who you are, but He sees you. And if you're victimizing your spouse, God sees that too. And He will not let that go. Unpunished. These words are for you. go to the next slide. Let's read this together. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you Are in an abusive relationship and you need to talk and you can't wait another week I'm here the elders are here if you do not feel comfortable talking to another male if you're a female and you want to talk to another female there are women here Um, I'm just gonna point out some there's Jill Millsap if you can raise your hand Um, there's Colleen somewhere around here she was out in the welcome welcome center um, for those of you women who are in healthy relationships or are willing to speak with anybody any female that's in, a, in a, an abusive relationship just raise your hand now the rest of you look around there are multiple women here and men it's possible for you to be in a, an abusive relationship too that's like, it's a hard thing to talk about but it's real I've, ta- I've spoken with men I've talked to men who are so, so defeated because of the relationship they're in with their spouse, that they they didn't really want to even live. If that's you and you can't wait another week to talk, there are men here who are willing to talk to you, to just be a a voice, or not not even a voice, to be an ear. Maybe you just want somebody to hear you. I'm available. We have elders in the church that are available. Who are the elders? There's Jerry, Jim. There's Ben back there. Uh, They'd be willing to talk to you. And there are other men in this room that would be willing to talk to you. Those of you men who are in healthy relationships are willing to speak with other men who are not, can you raise your hand? Look around. God is for you. He's not against you. And if you're here and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, I can tell you, why wait? Why wait? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except by me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the life that you call us to through your Son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.